Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here, you will listen to the preaching pastors from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray that you are inspired by their teachings. How's everyone doing this morning? You doing all right? Man, it's so good to be with you today. In fact, if it's all right, I'm going to jump right into the message. I want to talk with you today about giants. Everyone say giants. Yeah, and our teachers know what they are. They're getting ready to see them in the classroom this week, and some of them have already seen them last week. Uh, But man, I'm excited to talk about uh, this topic with you. And in fact, I want to start out with some sort of iconic giants, if you will, in our culture, and some of them are a little old school. I don't know if you're gonna know who these people are, and so I'm gonna show you a picture. I want you to tell me if you know who they are. Do you know who this is? The Jolly Green Giant, right? Green Beans, and actually uh, the Minnesota Valley Canning Company, founded in 1903. This is their mascot, the Jolly Green Giant. Now, the next one's a little more difficult. Go ahead, guys. Okay, hold up. We know it's Andre the Giant, but what is his name in The Princess Bride? Fezzik, all right, we got, it, we got it out there. His name is Fezzik, standing at seven feet, four inches tall, and 520 pounds, a real giant. And, and then maybe you'll recognize this next one. Paul Bunyan. Anyone wanna guess how many ax handles high Paul Bunyan is, according to legend? 63 ax handles high, which means approximately according to someone's calculations, 94 and a half feet tall. And then let's go a little bit uh, more current here. We have Yao Ming with the, uh, formerly with the Houston Rockets at seven foot six inches tall. You see, all throughout history, uh, from the ancient world until now, the ideas of giants, or more importantly, facing giants, capture our imagination. As we look at a giant, we wrestle with our own limited capabilities versus the things that come against us. And now, I highly doubt that most of y'all face physical giants, unless you're like maybe on our our, our, uh, volleyball team or football team or basketball team. We don't normally face physical giants, but just the word giants... Uh, evokes some certain thoughts, emotions, ideas, maybe a situation, maybe a struggle. You see, as I was, had this idea for this message, I was preparing and I, I came across this book called Giants Must Fall by Louis Giglio. Uh, they shed some light on some different giants that we as humans face. And, and he, he listed them out. And in fact, one of them is my giant, and I'll talk to you about that here in just a moment. He mentions the giant of fear, the giant of rejection, comfort, addiction, anger. But I think giants could also be experiences from your past, people that hurt you, sin, social problems. The list goes on and on, and before I go any further, I want to ask you a very simple question. What is your giant right now? That when I say giant and I start listing things off, what is that thing that stands before you that you're facing that there doesn't seem like there's any way you could defeat it on your own? What is it? 
You don't need to yell it out. Please don't. But what is your giant? Here's what I want you to do. In fact, if you have your notes open or you have a, a, a note-taking app on your phone, I want you to write down what that giant is. Because I want you to view and look at this entire message from the perspective of this giant that you're facing. And while you're taking a note, I want you to open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Numbers chapter 13. Now, our pastor did say we are finishing up the book of Exodus. And this is clearly not the book of Exodus. Um, because there's this part in the story where the people of God, they exit out of Egypt, God does amazing things, God gives them the Ten Commandments, and they finally find themselves on the edge of the Promised Land. In Numbers chapter 13, we'll start in verse 27 here in just a moment, we find out what happens as they prepare to enter the Promised Land. But before we read the scripture here, I want to pray if that's all right. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence. We know that you're with us. And so, Lord, as we talk about heavy topics like things we struggle with and addictions and giants and things that we lose too often, God, I pray that your word would give us guidance, that your spirit would provide comfort, and Lord, that we would not leave here today the same, that we would learn how to walk in your victories for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus, and if you agree with me, say amen. Amen. Uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. The 12 spies went into Israel, or went into the promised land. And so their job was simply to go and look for the fortifications and figure out if the land had plenty of food and could it support the people. And they were doing a scouting trip before the battle, before they were to invade the promised land. And so they took one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and that's why we call them the 12 spies, and they go in and spy on the land. And this is their report that they bring back to Moses. Verse 27, it says, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then they present this fruit to Moses. In fact, uh, we find earlier in scripture that they found this cluster of grapes so large that it took two people to carry them on a pole stretched between their shoulders. And so they, uh, they, they show it, to Moses is that here is the kind of fruit it produces. Pretty exciting, right? Like this is a great place. And then the word but shows up. The big but, if you will. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants Look at your neighbor say giants. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, along the Jordan Valley. We found giants there. But Caleb, 
Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will be devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that was, that's what they thought too. They weren't intimidated by us. And I don't know if you capture what happened here. You have a man of faith, Caleb, that says, you know what, guys? Uh, God's got this. We can do it. Let's go take over the land. Who cares about the giants? The God is, that we serve will defeat the giants, and we should go do it. And then you had the rest of the spies besides Joshua. The rest of the spies, they were terrified. They were living in fear. And so what did they do? They started to try to make everyone else afraid around them. How many of y'all know that when it comes time to face your giants, the people that don't face theirs don't want you to face yours? And they're gonna try to spread lies and fear and other things like that to keep you from stepping into the destiny that God has created for you. And the people of Israel, they were terrified. And we find later in scripture, and you should read through this part of the Bible, because it's crazy, we find that God is so infuriated with this group of people, and we don't have time to talk about this, pa this part of the passage yet. He's so infuriated, he looks at Moses and says, I'm just gonna wipe these guys out. They're never going to learn. And Moses begs God, God, you're a gracious and merciful God, please don't. God says, okay, but here's what's gonna happen as their punishment, this generation of warriors and men that should be fighting these battles and facing these giants, we're gonna exile them for 40 years until they die in the desert and the next generations of warriors come forward. And it always shocks me, I don't know if you've ever read scripture this way, but people do silly things and the, the Bible talks about it. And the way they reacted puzzles me, right? Because this would have been the generation of people that would have literally seen God do 10 plagues in Egypt. They would have literally seen God part the Red Sea in half and they walk across on dry ground and God destroys Pharaoh's army. They would have been a generation of people that when they were hungry, God sent manna from heaven. When they were thirsty, he sent water out of a rock. They would have seen a generation of people that would have seen God win battle after battle for them and here they are on the edge of the promised land and they see a giant and they get afraid and they run. And I realized something, that is like the most human response ever, it's so relatable. Because oftentimes when we face giants, have you ever realized how easy it is to look at it through the lens of our own strength? How easy it is to forget the times we've seen God do the impossible. And our natural human reactions begin to kick in and we realize we don't stand a chance and the instinct is to run because we feel like we're facing this giant alone. Have you been there? You see, the easiest temptation, if you're taking notes today, the easiest temptation when facing giants is to believe that you're gonna have to face them alone. That you're by yourself. And we normally enter into a cycle that looks something like this. And I'm gonna do my best to 
have decent handwriting today. And I'm gonna call it the human cycle of defeat. And maybe you can relate to this and maybe it was really easy for me to come up with this because this is what I've walked through in my life sometimes. Because what happens is we have giants that we face and we know that we need to face them and we have little brief moments of courage, right? You know what, today's the day. I'm gonna step up, I'm gonna face this giant, I'm gonna face it head on, I know I can do it. And we have the big scary giant and we face the giant and we're okay for a week. But then we fail and we face defeat. Man, and we just live in that defeat for a little while until we get just enough courage up again to say, you know what, I'm gonna face the giant and right and the whole time, you know what's at the center of this whole thing? Me, my strength, my power, my abilities, my courage, hoping that it's enough, but it not, more often than not, is not enough. And so I get a little more courage and face the giant and face defeat and live in that land and then I get maybe a little more courage and face the giant and then I get blown out of the water again and eventually I get tired of it. I give up and I run. How many of you are saying, uh, yeah. It's a quiet room. I get it. And so we figure out a way to live with our giant. We let it live. And we live out in exile, on the run, given up, and in order to let it live, we come up with different excuses. And I'm gonna tell you, church, that this is my list of excuses, okay? Maybe they're yours too. We have excuses to let our giants live. Number one, it's just the way I am. I'm not perfect, right? Who's perfect? Or, well, it used to be worse. Right, I'm not as bad as I once was. Or my favorite, the comparison game. I'm not as bad off as that other guy. His giants are way worse. Or maybe a, a more realistic one, I can't handle f failure anymore. Ugh. You said, David, you're crunching on my toes a little bit. I'm sorry, I love you. You see, I told you I was gonna be transparent with you a little bit earlier about the giant that I face. And you may be surprised by this, or maybe not, I don't know. But don't judge me, okay? Um, but as I looked at that list, uh, the giant that I end up having to defeat with the help of Jesus is the giant of anger. Now I know none of y'all in here have that problem. It's just me, so this is gonna be a personal counseling session, okay? 
And I'm not talking about anger. Like, you, you, you know me, and it's like not like I'm rolling around with like this mean look on my face, so you better stay away from that guy. I'm not talking about violence or crazy outbursts. I'm talking about that primary emotion sometimes that we feel that drives our decisions and drives our reactions. That there always seems to be, it's like the, uh, if you're familiar with the Marvel movies, the Hulk, where it's like, they, they asked the Hulk, they said, why, why are you, you know, how did you learn to control your anger? And he said, I didn't, I'm just angry all the time now. And I think a lot of us live like that, and, and that's something I had to start to confront because the reality is, is I didn't realize what it looked like until I started raising three little mini-me's that like to do what dad does. And, you know, it's, you know, not terrible, terrible things, but, you know, you're sitting at the dinner table and someone spills their drink. Dad chimes in. What did you do? You gotta be kidding me. We can't just have one meal without someone spilling a drink. Dad, it was an accident. Accidents don't happen. <laughs> As my wife rolls her eyes at me. If we were just more careful, this wouldn't happen. Ugh. You know, I'm gonna run, just stay there. I'm gonna get a towel, I'll clean it up. But the worst part is, when you have kids, is when they start doing it too. Right, when your five-year-old starts to lose their mind about something, and me with the lack of emotional intelligence to realize they're five, and I feel like I need to match their energy level, who looks more ridiculous? But you start to see them act out and follow in the qualities that they see uh, shown from you. And so I had this moment with the Lord where I was like, okay, God, I don't like what I'm seeing right now. I need help. This has to stop. I've been stuck in this cycle for so long where, man, I might be good for a week. I might be good for a week and a half. I might be a nice person for a little while, but I'm trying on my own strength and I'm not getting to the point where I can really see progress. And so in, in transparency, I went and I spoke to my counselor about this. And I really wanted like a five-step process. You know? Dude, just give me the program. And he's like, Let's talk about your past. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Off limits. But what he helped me identify, I'm joking, of course, is, uh, you know, I had some crazy amounts of unforgiveness in my life that was contributing to that. And how many people know that when you don't forgive someone, you may feel in control, but really, you're just intentionally making yourself miserable when we don't forgive? And that when I had a heart of unforgiveness, when I would mess up also, it would mean that I wouldn't go and apologize when I messed up afterwards. So not only did my kids and wife see it, but they didn't have any resolution to it. And I wish I could tell you that, uh, you know, like the big green giant, I'm anger free, you know? <laughs> anger free today. But that's not really how it works, is it? 
But I knew this was a giant that I couldn't run from anymore and that the Lord was gonna help walk with me through that because I also realized something else as I looked at my kids. As it relates to giants, when I run away from a giant, I'm leaving the fight to the next generation. When I run from a giant, I'm leaving the fight to the next generation. This is what the people of Israel did. They said, the giants are too big. We're too small. We're not ready to enter into the promised land. We're not ready to follow the promises of God. Let the kids handle it. You're like, well, when you put it that way, like if I had a home intruder, someone comes into my house, I'm not going to go hide in my closet and say to my five-year-old, hey, Luke, go deal with this problem. But in reality, this is exactly what we do when it comes to the giants that we face. That we let the kids fight the battle instead, when in reality, it should stop with us. Because of their lack of faith, the people of Israel ended up, after this point, having to deal with giants for close to 300 years after that. 300 years. 40 years after they got sent to the desert, Caleb comes back in the story and he goes to Joshua and he says, hey, remember that area with giants in Hebron? He said, give me that land, I'm ready for it. He had never forgotten. And so the Bible tells us that he went and he faced the giants in Hebron and he defeated many of them and and they kind of scattered to different places throughout Israel and then Joshua took his army and started to defeat a lot of the giants and then a few of the giants end up in this town called Gath. That may mean, mean nothing to you, but it's also in Philistia, or where we get the Philistines. Philistines in the Bible produce a famous giant named Goliath, who a shepherd boy David had to defeat in battle. And before I talk about it, it's my favorite story in scripture. Before I talk about that, I realized something as it relates to facing giants, what if they would have been faithful in the first place? Would they have had to face giants for 300 years, especially this specific line of giants? Because the truth is, every generation will face giants in battles. That's going to happen. We're not saying we're eradicating all the giants so our kids can live in bliss forever. They're going to have their own giants, and they're going to have their own battles. But what they don't need to face is one that should have stopped with you. They don't need to face one that should have stopped with me. What kind of faith would it look like for you and I to be people, to be a church that says, you know what, the buck stops here. Like Caleb, I have unfinished business, we're gonna face this giant. You see, there are sins and struggles that for whatever reason seem to get passed on from generation to generation in the church world we call those generational curses, but we believe that those curses can be stopped. That it doesn't have to be the story of the rest of the generations that follow you, they can end with you. And it ends when you face them. We see it all the time, right? We see it in addiction. We see it in alcoholism. But we also see it in character flaws. We see it in lying and laziness or or different things like that. You name it. And I have some good news for you as it relates to these generational curses. You're not strong enough to defeat them on your own, and that's okay. You say, how is that good news? You're not strong enough, and that's okay. And here's how I know it's okay that you're not strong enough. You see, I love the story of David and Goliath, and I told you I'd talk about it here in just a moment. Because David goes up to battle, and he brings food for his, his, his brothers that are out on the front line, and we find in Scripture that Goliath comes out and threatens the people of Israel, their army, makes fun of them, said, hey, just send one person, and we'll do battle. 
And the Israel army for days and days and days are shaking. And then this little shepherd boy comes to bring food and he looks at his brothers. He's like, aren't one of you guys going to go shut this guy up? Aren't you going to go fight? Well, fine. If you're not going to, I will. And so David goes down and he pulls five smooth stones out of a brook and he goes up and he stands before the giant, you know, in his sling and he faces the giant and slays the giant. And I read that story and I I do what I always like to do. I like to read myself into the story. Of course, I'm not the bad guy in the story. I don't want to be the giant. We want to be David. We want to be the giant slayer. We want to be in control. We want to be the hero of our story. We want this to be us and we're victorious. But that's part of the problem, isn't it? It keeps us stuck where we feel like we need to be in control. And the truth is, as I've read scripture and looked at this and looked at the themes in the Old Testament as it relates to what Jesus did, the real giant slayer is always Jesus. You are not David in the story. Jesus is David. Jesus is the one that slays the giants. Jesus is the one that says, I know you're afraid. I'm going to take care of this. You follow me. Because we find later in the story after Goliath is slain in battle that the people of Israel, man, they let out a shout and they realized the victory was theirs and they chased into battle and they destroyed the Philistine army. Jesus slays my giants. We have to stop facing our giants alone because Jesus is the good shepherd who fights off the bear and the lion. Jesus is the one that stands in front of the frightened army and says, hey, I got this. And Jesus is looking for people that trust him. People who surrender their giant and their situation to him. Understanding that there's going to be times where you mess up, where you fall, and that's okay. But that's not what it's about. It's about you surrendering to Jesus. And so instead of living for myself where I'm the sinner, We have the Jesus cycle of victory. And it looks a little different. You see, rather than starting with, you know, a whim of courage based on me, it starts with surrender. It starts with this basic recognition that I can't do it, I'm not strong enough, and I need Jesus to be the hero of my story. And when I surrender, I'm not fighting my giant. I'm following Jesus. And I'm just gonna go ahead and X this giant out if that's all right. Because when the giant is destroyed, I walk in victory and I live a surrendered life with Jesus at the center. And sure, I may mess up sometimes, but when I do, I surrender again. And Jesus fights the giant, and Jesus gives me victory, and I surrender again. And Jesus fights the giant, and Jesus gives me victory the whole time. with the goal of not being in control, the goal of being closer to Jesus. 
You see the key difference right now? That the key difference is who's in the center? And the reality is, sometimes when it comes to facing giants, a lot of times when we start to feel victory because we surrender to Jesus, uh, it's easy to start to get a little arrogant. To say, oh, I know Jesus helped me, but I'm getting pretty good. You know what I'm talking about? And then what happens is we find ourselves in victory trying to come back over here and regain control. But the reality is here, with someone on the run, and I'm wondering if that's some of us today, that with the people of Israel, their punishment was 40 years in the desert. They had to go there and die. 40 years of exile. But I think a lot of times because we've been fighting on our own, we place ourselves in exile. And it feels like maybe a, a, a weird sense of justice to punish ourselves, saying, you know what, I don't deserve to be victorious. I failed too many times, I need to live out here. But that was the people of Israel's story, not yours. Because in Christ, he isn't saying you need to stay in exile until you've paid for your sins. He's saying, I've paid for your sins, I want you to surrender to me. Where he's saying, hey, I'm calling you out of this place to surrender. Because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, you're gonna surrender one way or another. When it comes to your faith, when it comes to your life, when it comes to the giants that you face, you will surrender. You will give up. And it's either gonna be, I give up because I'm tired of facing this thing alone and I can't handle it, or it's gonna say, I give up, I need Jesus to fight for me. And this is what he calls us to as he slays our giants. He calls us out of exile into him because you don't have to stay in exile. You see, I, I love another part of this story because we find later in scripture that David, as he faces the giants in Gath, we find there's this little verse that I hadn't totally noticed before that said that uh, there are 24 other giants in the land. And David's mighty men saw David defeat the giant and so they thought, well, if David can do it, I can do it. And in fact, we find this one other guy that you don't hear about a lot in scripture, but he was a nephew of King David's. And he saw David defeat the giant and David's nephew was the one that also went and defeated one of these 24 uh, remaining giants. You see, when the next generation sees you face your giant with courage, when you let Jesus fight for you, not being afraid to surrender to Jesus. Guess what? What would it look like? Well, we're used to the next generation taking its negative cues from us, right? Dad loses his temper, so that's what I do. What if the generation that followed after us was in such a place that they saw, wow, my uncle, my aunt, my mom, whoever, 
Man, they, follow, they face these giants, and because Jesus faces them, uh, they're slayed, they're destroyed, and that's what I want to do. You see, the next generation will learn from this generation how to defeat the giants that they face. They take our cues from us. But it all begins with Jesus. So I want to ask you again, church. What is your giant? Who's your giant? Have you been facing it alone? Are you tired of falling in the cycle of failure and have you given up? Are you in exile? Have you placed yourself at the center and not made Jesus at the center? I want you to know today that you're not alone that you could win, that Jesus wants to fight for you today. That there's some real simple steps. And it begins with surrender. It begins by saying, I'm not enough, I can't do it on my own. Jesus, help me, and then I want you to do, if, you, if you're facing your giant and Jesus is fighting for you, I want you to tell someone else, because you're not intended to do life alone. And then lastly, don't give up. Because we're pressing on towards Jesus. That he's the prize. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the focus. So what's your step today? I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. And as we think about our giants, I want you to know that when Jesus is the center, we sang about it earlier, that when you speak the name of Jesus, you find victory. That when you speak the name of Jesus, giants fall. That Jesus has power over anger. Fear, complacency, unforgiveness, rejection, situations in your past and people that have hurt you, that Jesus slays your giants. And so we're going to worship this morning. It's a song called Promises. And I think it's important in a message about giants that we do worship, because worship is a weapon. You know why it's a weapon? Because when you worship, you're putting God where God belongs and you're placing yourself where you belong. Where you're putting God on the throne, where you're doing what we call surrender. We're saying, God, we trust in your promises. God, I trust you to fight for me. God, be my anchor. You remain the same and you are faithful through all generations. And so I want you to think about that giant that you wrote down a little bit ago. And what it is. And as we worship, I want you to surrender yourself to Jesus. Surrender your situation and let Jesus fight for you.
today. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at thenaz.church.